This is the Rundown. The Rundown. The Rundown. Hosted by Luke Lipinski. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the auction community studio for the next two hours. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. Sarah Cazelli, very elaborate dance. I dare say, without having a record of all the dances ever done in this building, that was the best dance ever in this studio right there. The most uh, the most complicated dance. And we cut your mic off so you can't even explain it. <laughs> Maybe it was interpretive dance. So, big weekend here in the Valley. We've got, uh, we've got the Cardinals game going on against the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. That's a big one. A first place Buffalo Bills team coming to town. We're going to talk to... Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic get his thoughts on the Bills and what exactly the Cardinals are in for on Sunday. And a big ASU game. Oh, yeah. No ASU game this weekend. So that's where we'll start. That uh, that story took quite the twist. All week wondering if Cal was going to be able to play or if they were going to have to try to come up with some sort of contingency plan to allow ASU to play UCLA if Utah couldn't play. And uh, Utah can't play. But the contingency plan that's now in place is Cal is going to play UCLA because ASU is dealing with an outbreak of COVID cases up to and including head coach Herm Edwards, which, I mean, first and foremost, I just want Herm to be okay. I mean, Herm is like the emotional leader, I feel like, of sports fans in the Valley right now. Even if you're a U of A fan, you can't hate Herm. You may not like his team. Uh, But... If you just look at this strictly from the impact within the world of football, and that's what I'll focus on for tonight, (laughs) I don't know how ASU is going to play next week. I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying it's impossible, but they're supposed to be playing in Boulder against Colorado next week, and I just I I don't know how quickly you're going to be able to turn that around. I mean, we don't know all the details definitively, but you hear you hear stories out there like ASU is basically missing a side of the football. So like either the defense or the offense, uh, it's potentially still early in the process. So more players may be testing positive tomorrow or Sunday, you know, if they can't even, even if everything goes well and they can't start practicing till I don't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week, how are they supposed to prepare for Colorado? And, and then I would also say along those lines, I give UCLA, UCLA and Cal a lot of credit because they have not prepared for each other at all this week. Cal wasn't even sure they were going to be able to play all week. And that whole theory, and it's not really a theory, it's a pretty tried and and, and tested um, way of doing business in football that you need time to prepare for your opponent is sort of out the window, at least for Cal and UCLA this week. And I think, honestly, probably for a lot of Pac-12 teams this season. Like I said, I don't know when ASU is going to be able to, to be able to practice enough to play Colorado. And if this is really going to eat into their season, and again, strictly looking at it from the football perspective, I mean, obviously safety first, but if this is going to eat into ASU's season, which it already is, I mean, you could make a case this is their most talented team in, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years. This is the team where you have a guy with the potential to be a first-round pick at quarterback in Jaden Daniels. And 
you have a, a pretty good defense and you have key defensive players like Merlin Robertson. We saw Jack Jones really play well against USC last week. Evan Fields, Chase Lucas. You got Frank Darby on offense. You've got two pretty good looking running backs in Chip Trainum and Rashad White. And this season, even if they're able to play again, even if even if they're able to play Colorado, what's the best case? In best case scenario, you can you get to play six games. I mean, look, it's it's better than nothing, and certainly that's what we're all hoping for. And I absolutely am am hoping that a week from now. I'm doing this show talking to you about the ASU game against Colorado that's coming up the next day and and talking about the actual game and not like, oh, well, here's more COVID testing. Incidentally, the show a week from now is going to be crazy because it'll be the day after Seahawks Cardinals and it'll be two days after the NBA draft. Like next week is going to be a fun week for sports. I was hoping it would kick off with uh, with ASU and Cal this weekend. But uh, I guess not. That's just not uh, in the cards right now. And, well, I'm going to play a clip of the uh, Matt Berry from ESPN interview. He was on with uh, with Burns and Gambo this afternoon. Of course, Matt Berry, pretty big name over at ESPN, but went to ASU. So he's a little more emotionally invested in this particular canceled game uh, than probably most people at ESPN are. There's 15 games across college football, unless something has changed in like the last five minutes when I've been talking that are canceled for this weekend. I just, I appreciate what college football is trying to do. Unless, I don't even know what team would have to win the championship this season now for us to feel like, okay, this was a legitimate season. More so than all the other sports, this just looks so different. You have 15 games being canceled this weekend. The Pac-12, I don't even know how they're going to potentially send a, a team even out there with a resume to try and get in the college football playoff because you're not going to have enough games unless something changes. Trevor Lawrence missing a big game last week because of COVID and then Clemson loses. You know, so it's like it's not just affecting the Pac-12. It's not just affecting the SEC. It's affecting the outcome of some of these games too. And we knew this was going to be the case to a certain extent, but uh, we really could just use a win right now for college football because if you look at how Major League Baseball was able to do it, they at least were able to salvage a season with a pretty realistic result. The Dodgers and Rays were the top two teams in Major League Baseball they met in the World Series. If you look at the NBA, as much as we don't like it, the Lakers were probably the best team. It's not It's not weird. It's not You're looking at the Lakers and saying, oh, they only won because a bunch of teams couldn't play enough games and some of the teams they played had key players missing because of COVID. Like, no, that's not it. NHL, Tampa Bay Lightning, probably the best team. One Stanley Cup. Like Those sports were able to do it, and I give the NFL credit for doing as well as they've done so far. And I do think the NFL is going to be able to pull it off. But college college football right now is just it's just wreaking havoc on college football. And I, I sincerely, and I love college football. I sincerely hope they're able to turn this around quickly. I also sincerely hope that the NCAA is looking at this closely for how to prevent it when it comes to college basketball, because that's not too far away. All right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The rundown rapid reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. That was not the topic I wanted to start the show with tonight, but we had to. Now we can switch over to the Arizona Cardinals getting set to take on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. The Bills 7-2 and this season. Cardinals have a very key stretch of six days coming up. 
and it's going to be even less before kickoff of that game. But you've got the Bills on Sunday. You've got the Seahawks on Thursday. So talk about a quick turnaround against two of the better teams in the NFL and two very different teams. And ironically, these two teams played each other last week. We're going to talk to Joe Biscaglia, like I said, of The Athletic and, and get some insight on the Bills here in just a few minutes. But for the Cardinals, they're going to play this game without Lecky Fotu, uh, Justin Murray, Jordan Phillips. Those guys are all out. You cannot afford a lot more losses on the defensive side of the football if you're the Cardinals. Now, you've signed Jonathan Joseph. You're getting Byron Murphy and Devon Kennard back. Buda Baker is questionable. Depending who you talk to, there's a lot of people that seem to think he's going to find a way to play. Kenyon Drake, also questionable. As much as I like Kenyon Drake, if you're telling me the Cardinals can only have one of these two guys back this weekend, I'm going to tell you, hey, Kenyon, just set this out and be ready for the Seattle game if you can. It's remarkable that Kenyon Drake is already back in the conversation of being able to play after how bad it looked when he got hurt against Seattle last time. So, what, a couple weeks ago, just two games ago. I think the Cardinals can win this game this weekend, but you got to have Buda Baker to be able to do it. Otherwise, when you're facing a team with a quarterback that is is playing as good as we've ever seen him play in Josh Allen, and Stephon Diggs, and we talk so much about the, the great trade the Cardinals made to get DeAndre Hopkins in here and how just amazing he has been this season, and it's all true. It's all true. And the trade for DeAndre Hopkins is better because the Cardinals really didn't give anything up. But Stephon Diggs actually has better numbers now. Which, if you think about it for a second, that's somewhat insane. But if you just look at at pure stats, Stephon Diggs is having the best receiver of any receiver in the NFL this season. So yeah, the Cardinals need Buda Baker for this one. Uh, To the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. No movement on that potential Chris Paul trade yet. But... um, Chris Paul was actually on with Jimmy Fallon, of all people, on The Tonight Show. And Jimmy Fallon, I'll give him credit, trying to get the soundbite. He asked Chris Paul about the Phoenix Suns trade rumors. Man, I'm going to year 16, right? So I'd have heard about every rumor that you could possibly hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, so, uh, you, you learn to control what you can control. Um, I'm training, getting ready for the season. If something happens, it will. If not, you know, I've, I've loved being in Oklahoma uh, with our team. We uh, actually just got a new coach yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, so you know oh the league gosh. is always constantly changing. Yeah, we'll get back into this later on in the show, but I mean, there's the speculation is certainly still there. It's interesting. A lot of Suns fans. Every Suns fan has an opinion on this, and you should. A lot of Suns fans kind of seem to want to take the route of let's just stay with what we have. Let's not mortgage the future, which. I take a little bit of issue with that because you're not mortgaging the future if Kelly Oubre is not going to be here in a year anyway. And Ricky Rubio is essentially the guy you're trading for Chris Paul. I don't necessarily think you're mortgaging the future. That's assuming that Oubre wouldn't be here. If Oubre is going to stay past this year, well, then that <laughs> obviously changes things. But if, if you are operating under the assumption that this is his last year with the Suns anyway, then I don't think you're, quote, mortgaging the future to bring in Chris Paul. But it is interesting that there's a pretty big percentage of Suns fans that are like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I like the deal if they are able to make it, as long as you don't have to give up that number 10 pick. But like I said, we'll get back into that. And the the draft is coming up here in now just a few days. We'll go through some of the mock drafts out there. They all have the Suns taking somebody different, which sort of falls in line with how wide open we've heard the uh, the top dozen or so picks in this draft are uh, outside of the top three. And Major League Baseball, how about this story? Kim Ng is now the Marlins GM, the first 
woman to be named to that position in Major League Baseball, and I, I believe just the second in American sports history to be a GM. The Eagles, uh, I think it was Susan Spencer, was GM of the Eagles for a little bit in the 80s, I had seen somewhere today. Uh, her dad was like the owner of the team. This, this, is, this is groundbreaking stuff. All the credit in the world to the Marlins for making this happen. I don't know Kim Ng, but a lot of people seem to because she's been around Major League Baseball for 30 years, and I have not heard one person say anything to discredit her ability to do this job today. Like, everybody that that knows her or has met her talks about how this is either a great hire or a long overdue hire for somebody to, to make this decision. So, great stuff there. And the Marlins... They're a fun team. They're a fun, young, up-and-coming team, assuming they keep their players. They have a history of not doing that, but uh, maybe she can make them keep their players. That would be pretty cool since they do have a good uh, a good young prospect system coming up, and they even made the playoffs this season. But that's just a great story. And, again, pretty much unanimous. Anybody that has met her says, oh, yeah, no, this, this makes a lot of sense. And if you think about it, nothing is unanimous in 2020. All right, we come back. We're going to dive into that Cardinals game. We're going to look at the Buffalo Bills perspective with Joe Biscalia of The Athletic covering the Bills. That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. All right, welcome back. It is the Rundown. I'm Luke Lipinski. And with the Cardinals set to take on the Buffalo Bills this Sunday, we are joined now by Bills beat reporter for The Athletic, Joe Biscalia, joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Joe, uh, thanks for the time. What's what's the feeling around the Buffalo Bills right now? Well, it's uh, it's a feeling that I don't think fans of the team have had in a very very long time because at for the first time really since 1995, the division is in play here for them, and and it would be kind of a surprise if they weren't to get the AFC East uh, a crown under their belts for this season. So there's a lot of uh, wondering about how good this team can be this season, how far they could potentially go if Josh Allen can, you know, get that first playoff victory under his belt and be able to uh, push this franchise to a place that they haven't been since that 1995 season. So uh, there's a lot of optimism, but also uh, I'm sure some some terrifying moments for Bills fans about wondering what this season will end up being. We um, what was the expectation like coming into this season? I talked to Lorenzo Alexander a few times before the season. He's like, "Watch out for the Bills this year." And my default is always until I see the Patriots trail off. I'm just I can't believe they're going away. Now it seems like they have. So I, I hear what you're saying about the cautious optimism, but there there had to be some belief coming into the season this team could do some damage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, when we were speaking with uh, the general manager of the team, Brandon Bean, he. Uh, made it pretty clear that the next step for them was to win the AFC East because they hadn't done that. And and it just seems to be the next kind of uh, notch to hit for their rebuild and what they started in 2017. So now it it's looking like unless they just completely fall apart over these final seven games, it's looking like that's going to happen for them. And from there, uh, it they will host their first playoff game since 1995. And now it's a matter of if they can actually win a playoff game. We've seen them be competitive in the playoffs last year. They uh, had that game against the Texans and quite frankly, they blew it in the second half when Deshaun Watson really took the game over and they didn't really have a counter punch. Josh Allen kind of 
lost himself in the moment. So now they have to learn from, from those things. And I think that's the next step that they thought of themselves. But they're at the point now where if you look at how this team is stacking up and the fact that their offense has taken a step forward, their defense is start, starting to round into shape. They're not like they were last year, but uh, they're still getting there, getting warmer to that. And the rest of the AFC, outside of the Chiefs, the Steelers, um, and the Chiefs and Steelers, everybody else looks beatable right now. So if you're the Bills and if you wind up with the three seed, then you're looking at a home playoff game. And if you win that game, then you're in the divisional round at against, at worst, the second seed in the AFC. And at best, you're hosting another playoff game, going playing to go to the AFC Championship. So uh, I think the I think the expectations are still the same to win the division, but there's that creeping little feeling as to okay, what can this team actually be? Because everything is on the table when you have a good enough offense. Talking to Joe Biscaglia of The Athletic, covers the Buffalo Bills. Joe, uh, one of the guys that's been a huge difference maker is Stephon Diggs, and we have talked extensively here in the Valley about DeAndre Hopkins and how great of a trade that was for the Cardinals, and it has been. But Diggs actually has better numbers even than DeAndre Hopkins at this point. What has he done, not just for the, the team collectively, but for Josh Allen? Oh, yeah, it's it's been immeasurable what he has done to help Josh Allen to the next level because uh, what – Brandon B and the GM smartly did was he surrounded Allen with players that were best suited to what Allen did best. And where Allen made his biggest strides from year one to year two was, his, was in his intermediate accuracy. Now he, they knew that Allen likes to push the ball into some tighter spots and they, they knew they needed someone that would, uh, would be able to separate well enough. And Stefan Diggs is one of the best in the game at doing that. And, when you come to contested catches, Diggs is another incredible component for that. So Diggs has just kind of taken over um, the the offense uh, outside of Allen. I mean, you see guys looking to him constantly on the practice field. He sets the intensity uh, throughout. He set the intensity throughout the summer months. Um, he, he's just been just a, a huge presence within that locker room. That's really just ramped up the expectations within I think and having him be essentially a security blanket and leading the league in targets and being at the top of the league and all the the major passing statistics it's just a testament as to the type of impact that he's had in Buffalo and um, I'm sure Josh Allen was the happiest camper (laughs) when when they got him and he has done nothing but uh, just prove the Bills right for their trade and going out and spending a first-round pick. You can't get much better of a, a first-year impact for a first-round pick than, than what he's given. Yeah, he's he's been everything. Uh, is, is sticking with Josh Allen there for a second, I mean, you know, we here in Arizona in that 2018 draft, uh, Josh Rosen was the Cardinals pick at that point, and there was a lot of quarterback talk coming into that draft and coming out of it. But now you look, and it's, it's clearly either Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson who's been uh, the cream of the crop so far. What other than obviously Stephon Diggs, what else has really worked for Josh Allen from year one to year two and now year three where he looks like one of the, the truly elite quarterbacks in this league? Yeah, it's it's been a crazy three years to track, I'll tell you that much, because when he came into the league, you know, I I, I gave him the nickname Wyoming Josh because he would have these hero ball sort of tendencies where 
he would roll roll out and you didn't know what was coming from one play <laughs> to the next and and slowly but surely he's weeded all of these little parts of his game out to to where he's still taking calculated risks because they didn't want to remove that from his game because it's part of what makes him unique and seeing things down the field and and thinking that he has the arm to get it there because he does quite frankly um, but where what they've been doing is they've been working with him and giving him all of the evidence that he needs to say, okay, well, we like when you take certain risks, but, but just not these risks. And that's just a, a small example of things that he's improved upon. One of the most impressive things about Allen is that he has such incredible self-awareness in terms of what he is doing poorly. He's not stubborn. Uh, he takes cr- criticism constructive criticism really well he's changed a few different things with his mechanics like when they first got him uh when he would throw to his left he would open up his hip completely and he the ball would sail on him that that was one of the first things they fixed uh and then he's he shortened up his his deep field mechanics and that has gotten better this season his accuracy because his mechanics are are tighter um especially in the intermediate area has improved he's learned how to read defenses uh, at a high level and he can beat both zone. He can beat man. He's, he's much better against the blitz and zero blitzes than he was a year ago. So he's just made so many strides from, from one game to the next really. And the, to top it all off, the guy who was completely reckless with the football, it has just been outstanding at limiting turnovers through the air um, over the last 20 games or so. So the, he has turned himself into quite the talent for them, and uh, he he shut any remaining questions there there have been, uh, especially nine games into his third season. He is their guy moving forward. They're going to pick up that fifth year option, and they're going to march forward with Josh Allen. Uh, you know, I think the quarterback matchup is is the reason a lot of people believe there's probably going to be a lot of scoring in this game. I want to stick with offense for one more question for you, though. As far as running back for Buffalo, I mean, last year it was Devin Singletary. Zach Moss was really good in college. We saw him kind of firsthand here in the Pac-12 in Utah. I know he was hurt a little bit earlier this year, but he seems to be the touchdown guy. How, how is the uh, how is the running game balanced out for Buffalo? Yeah, they they look at it as just kind of a complementary piece and as something that they can go to when the matchup dictates it. Like against the Patriots, they just went run heavy like crazy because the the Patriots can't stop anybody on the ground. So they really went for it in in that area, and they ended up having a ton of success. I think both players had 14 carries. They they rushed for 160 plus yards between the two of them. So uh, those two guys. They they like them both because they bring something a little bit differently. I think Zach Moss, as you probably know, just from watching him with some Pac-12 stuff, um, he probably has the better potential of the two. He's he's really he just he's violent when he runs. I mean, the way he just lowers his head and and tries to initiate the contact. I think they want him to work on his vision a little bit because there are times that he bounces the runs out wide a bit too often but when he hits his blocks and reads his keys and 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 he follows the lane I mean he's he's getting from point a to point b really quickly so it, there's there's some potential there but I think they'll remain with the the timeshare approach committee backfield 
not uh, not too great to hear if you're a fantasy football owner of either of those guys, but uh, <laughs> that's what they believe in, and that's what they're going to continue to do. Well, because if I counted right last game at one point, 35 offensive plays into the game, they had thrown on 31 of them. Is that? I mean, I know it was against Seattle, but it, that was that was pretty uh, pretty intentional. It felt like. Oh yeah, and Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator, comes from the Bill Belichick tree, and he worked on with the Patriots for years and years. He was there tight ends coach for a while. Um, then he went off to become the Alabama offensive coordinator of the university of Alabama. Um, and then once he won a national championship there, the bills hired him to be their offensive coordinator. Dable's actually from the Buffalo area. Um, but he brought those same sort of principles along. He hasn't been able to use them too often, uh, since he's been in Buffalo because the, the offense has kind of been in flux, but now that he has the flexibility to where they can, pass the ball when they want to, and they can run the ball when they want to, that he's just attacking the weakness of the opponent. It's very smart football. I don't know why more teams don't do it, to be honest, because it seems like it's it's pretty logical. You know, hey, this team stinks at this. Attack this. So that's, that's just kind of how they do it. They find that's the simplified version, but they find the specific ways to attack that, those teams, and uh, they've had – really good success for for many of their games so far in 2020 well joe i'll get you out of here on this one the cardinals lost last week despite a really good game by kyler murray i know the bills defense there was a lot of talk about how strong it was coming into this season and they buffalo has won quite a few lower scoring games prior to last week how does that defense match up with a guy like kyler murray do you think yeah it's it's going to be a challenge but i think they might be looking at this game and preparing for this game a lot in the same way that they prepared for Lamar Jackson last year. And it's different. I know the, the offenses are different because uh, Kyler provides a little bit more of a, a pass heavy presence to, to his game. And they're not afraid to stick him back there and shotgun and just, and just throw from the pocket. But, uh, but that said, I think the bills don't want to allow Kyler, the scrambler to beat them. Or at least that would be my guess. Um, when they prepared for Lamar Jackson, it was a lot of get ready for the zone read stuff, um, really hammering on the defensive ends and the linebackers who line up outside who are, who are going to play edge contain to keep their shoulders square uh, and, and parallel to the goal line. So that way, if the quarterback winds up keeping the ball, then, then they are in a position to keep forcing the quarterback wide until they have more help arrive. So I think that's kind of the way that they're approaching this thing. And of course, you know, they, they have to make sure that they stay their stay in their rushing lanes when they're, when Kyler just drops back to pass and, and it's not a zone read, but I think that edge contain is the big emphasis for them going into this week. And if they're able to do that, then they probably believe as much in their zone coverage to be able to cover the back end. It's just all a matter of their front seven and whether or not they can, they can stand up to it. That should be a good one. Joe Biscali, great stuff. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the game this weekend, all right? Thanks for having me, Luke. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. That's Joe Biscalia of The Athletic joining us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sportsline, Coulter Cadillac Tempe. Experience the difference. Visit com. we got more in just a moment. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Well, we got a great receiver matchup coming up in this Cardinals-Bills game this weekend. Two guys that I think are very happy to be off their old teams and on their new teams. We certainly are very familiar with DeAndre Hopkins and 
the numbers he put up with the Houston Texans, and uh, <laughs> we know DeAndre Hopkins' story. He gets here, he's happy to be out of Houston, he's happy to be on a team with Kyler Murray, and I think, honestly, even though he has not really exclusively said this, happy to be on a team where Bill O'Brien is not the coach, although that would be every NFL team at this point. But there is a similar situation going on with this weekend's opponent in the Buffalo Bills. Stephon Diggs, very good career up to this point with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Minnesota had that that sort of double-headed monster at receiver with Diggs and Adam Thielen the, the last few years. Diggs finally just kind of said, I want out of here. The Vikings not going anywhere, apparently. He leads the NFL this year, 813 receiving yards. Hopkins has 734. Now, to be fair with these stats, Diggs has played an extra game. Buffalo hasn't had their bye week. But if you want to go receptions, Stephon Diggs is number one. DeAndre Hopkins is number three. Diggs has 63. Hopkins has 60. If you want to go targets, Diggs is number one with 91. Hopkins is eight with uh, with 76. He had a relatively off game, I guess you would say, last week with just the three catches for 30 yards. The yards in uh, for the season... Stephon Diggs has 813, Hopkins has 734, and they each have three touchdowns. This is the premier receiving matchup uh, of the weekend, certainly, and maybe the two best receivers in the NFL. If not, they're certainly two of the three or four or five right now. We heard a lot about Kyler Murray, and there was a lot of speculation as to why he was so, at least perceived as so moody after the game on Sunday. I think a lot of us just took it as he was unhappy with a loss. And then I, to me, his comments later in the week where he's like, I got to keep reminding myself this is not college football. One loss does not end your season. And that sort of reinforced that that belief. But there has been this this um, this like subset of football fans that is convinced there's some sort of rift between Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins because we have seen a couple of times those two go at each other on the sidelines, not like not swinging at each other, not screaming at each other for a quarter, but just kind of talking passionately and angrily toward each other. And uh, DeAndre Hopkins was asked about that today. You know, is there some sort of beef between you two? I love it. Um, I think that's what makes us closer. That's what brings um, us together. Uh, you know, I he- I- I've heard some stuff in the media saying, you know, beef um, and stuff like that because, you know, Kyler gets on me. But you never hear about, um, Tom Brady beefing with his his teammates. If if Kyler is beefing with me for getting on me, then I guess Tom Brady hates all his teammates he's ever played with. <laughs> I love that that closing sentence. Yeah, I guess Tom Brady hates every teammate he's ever had because yes, you will see Tom Brady yelling at his teammates. That's the quarterback's job if he needs to. Look, y'all. Everybody has those friends where it's like you're always just super nice to each other all the time when you're around each other. It's almost uncomfortable. Like, you feel like you couldn't joke with them. It's like you see them and you're like, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. Oh, how was yours? Okay, well, I guess I'll talk to you next week and we'll have the exact same conversation. The people that you know that you can tease or you know that you can, you can vent to or that you can tell if you have a problem with them and you don't have to hold it in, those are the people you're closest with. I actually find it refreshing that Kyler Murray, who was not very vocal at all last season, already feels comfortable enough with DeAndre Hopkins that he can yell at him on the sidelines. And DeAndre Hopkins has accomplished, as much as I like Kyler Murray, Hopkins has accomplished a lot more in this league so far than Kyler Murray has. He can handle it. He'll yell back if he needs to. The fact that we are a season and a half into Kyler Murray's career 
and he's comfortable enough with DeAndre Hopkins just eight games in, into their time together. And, I mean, this didn't just happen. This has happened a few times this season. That's a good sign. It's a bad sign if they're screaming at each other every game as they're walking off the field and subtweeting each other. But if they're just having intense conversations on the sideline, you want your quarterback and your and your wide receiver to have that sometimes, to at least have that comfort level. So if you were worried, I feel like that that soundbite right there from DeAndre Hopkins clears it up as much as it's going to clear it up for you. I mean... I, maybe maybe it's just one of those things where people are going to wait for it to happen, but I, I just I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I think those two have a pretty good relationship. Otherwise, you know, we haven't heard DeAndre Hopkins come out after a game, and if if it was going to happen, it would have been after the last game, and be like, yeah, I need more than uh, than thirty yards. Like, what's going on here? I need more than three catches. So, until we get something like that, I'm not concerned at all. In fact, he was asked, DeAndre Hopkins was about. Uh, the last game where he only had three targets. Um, I had seven targets, and four of them was penalties, if I'm not mistaken. That might be a record. So, nah, I was very happy. Even though we didn't win, that's probably one thing I was mad about, but not my catches or completions. Um, when a guy has to hold you when the ball is being thrown your way every time, I think that's a sign of respect, man. Yeah, I mean that is a real thing too. They were they were interfering with him to prevent him from catching the ball, so that cuts down on your targets. And again, if you're gonna get caught up in targets, DeAndre Hopkins has seventy six this season. That's eighth in the NFL behind some guys that have played an additional game. So he's doing just fine in that regard. All right, we come back. We're gonna hear from Matt Barry of ESPN, ASU alumni, and uh, his thoughts not only on what's going on with the Sun Devils, but the state of the Pac twelve and college football right now. That's next. It is the rundown with Luke Lipinski on ninety eight seven FM Arizona Sports Station. Yeah, so that's Matt Barry on with Burns and Gambo and just uh, not painting the happiest picture for college football right now, although it's not his fault. It's just kind of the reality we're dealing with. Makes me uh, appreciate the other sports that are able to go, and uh, the NBA is going to start up here about, what, six weeks from now? Free agency starts next week, next Friday, officially. How about the uh, the the city jerseys that the Phoenix Suns? I think a lot of people had seen them already, but or at least had you know there was a couple couple pictures leaked about a week ago. But um, the video that the the Suns put out yesterday on social media, great great job by their digital team. The jerseys, I mean, Jeff, I, you're wearing a, a Suns mask. You're obviously a big Suns guy. What do you think of the jerseys, the Valley jerseys? I like them because they're both unique. But they they feel like a Suns jersey. They they, I think most people, if they hadn't seen that jersey and they heard really cool new Suns uniforms are coming, yeah, they would think you know the '90s Sunburst like a remake of that. This is we managed to not get those again, which I feel like Suns fans have wanted those uniforms for a long time. But I think for the first time, the jersey reveal comes out. It's not the Sunburst. And that's totally fine. That's a cool jersey. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, obviously I'm going to like it because it's black and I like I like black jerseys. But I think what you just said right there of, you know, if you kind of touched on it. If somebody, if you just, if flipping through the channels next season and you see the Suns wearing that, you know it's the Suns. Yeah. Even though it's not the Suns' normal uniform, a lot of, there's a lot of teams in the NBA that, 
they'll wear their jersey, and if you haven't seen them wear it in a while, you have to look and be like, wait, who who am I even watching? Unless you recognize a player, right? But these are clearly Suns jerseys, like you said. So I think that's good. And I think it's nice because San Antonio revealed a their new city uniforms today, and those are just straight throwbacks. I, I kind of like how we seem Nike seems like they're saying, all right, we're going to kind of go back to these uniforms that maybe in 1995 would have been considered ugly, but now are considered vintage kind of cool uniforms. I, I like the turn uh, the turn that Nike's taking with these jerseys. Yeah, those Spurs jerseys are, are pretty aggressive, too. That is like a, a solid mid-90s look that they have. But and New Orleans put some out. Uh, it was either yesterday or today that were a lot more uh, simplified. But um, I mean, this is... The NBA does such a good job of marketing their product. I, w- I would say in some areas better than any of the other sports. And uh, for the Sun specifically yesterday, the video was great. Did you see the video? Oh, yeah. The video was pretty awesome. Really cool. Um, I, hate, I, think- I hate scorpions. And there was a giant scorpion just walking around. And even that was cool. <laughs> I, I think, too, it's important that we're getting cool uniforms because two years ago, Nike gave uh, the Suns a city uniform that had a consolation that you can't even see from this side of the planet. They just put it on the jersey because it was the Phoenix consolation. Yeah. Now it looks like the the Suns are a team that Nike wants to invest time into creating a cool uniform yeah, for. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And I and I just the actual design of the uniform itself is is really really solid. Really really good job there by by Nike and the Phoenix Suns. We'll come back with our number 2 of the show starting with the reload next. It's the rundown on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown Reload. Rundown Reload. Hour number two live from the Auction Community Studios. Luke Lipinski here with you. Jeff Darge behind the glass. And we will begin in the Pac-12 college football. This was supposed to be a really fun weekend coming up. And I guess it still can be, but not as fun, certainly. Uh, here in the Valley, ASU was supposed to play Cal. It was supposed to be the home opener, even though we not been able to go to the game. Still, it'd just be nice to drive by Sun Devil Stadium and know there's football being played. That's not going to happen. ASU actually is now the program dealing with the positive COVID tests. So the Sun Devils are the ones that had to cancel this game. To the point, actually, where Cal, who didn't play last week because they had COVID issues, and up until about yesterday, it, it, the the perception of this was if ASU is not going to be able to play this week, it's because of Cal's issues. Well, Cal is actually going to play this weekend. They're going to play on Sunday against UCLA because their game got canceled against Utah. Utah is now going to be two games into the season without having played at all. And that's uh, just sort of a reminder of the bigger picture of how how distorted this college football season is. And I go back and forth as to whether, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite and say, oh, they never should have tried. Because if they thought they could safely do this, well, then, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm on board with trying. But, uh, boy, I mean, you said, like, Utah's a good team. Utah probably wouldn't have won the Pac-12. But they're on that list. I think Oregon's the favorite, USC's second. And then a team like ASU or Utah, I think, is probably... Cal's actually decent, too. But I think that under normal circumstances, if we had just played out a full 12-game season, I think we would have seen Oregon against either USC, ASU, or Utah out of the South. So to have Utah 
not playing their first two games, ASU not playing their second game, and, and we don't know about next week already. It's just it, it's it's just the Pac-12. I get that. And if it was only happening in the Pac-12, I would say, okay, maybe it doesn't impact the, the national picture that much. But I just keep going back to this. Whoever wins the national championship this season, hopefully we get there. Whoever wins, there's going to be – there's it's always going to have a footnote next to it that – yeah, the Pac-12 couldn't even play half their season, and neither could the Big Ten. And 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 you know, Trevor Lawrence was missing a couple games, and one of them is why Clemson lost. And Ohio State's game this week is canceled. It's like you're talking about some of these teams. When you start talking about Clemson, Ohio State, you're talking about teams that uh, were absolutely expected to be in the national title picture, and maybe they still are. But everything's just so distorted right now. ESPN has their playoff predictor up, and they have Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Clemson. So for everything I'm saying about what happened to Clemson and what's happening to Ohio State this week, right now it doesn't seem to be impacting those two that much on the national like championship picture. But uh, it's not like the Big Ten's playing that many more games than the Pac-12. So if Ohio State starts missing games, whether it's their their fault or you know because of of their own positive cases or not yeah i don't know i don't know if they can push the playoff back i know that they have uh they were talking today they said they would only do that if it's absolutely necessary but right now it's just um just crazy what's going on in college football and you just hope it turns and, and, and starts to get better here to the nfl the cardinals will be dealing with some injuries on sunday against the buffalo bills if you look at what the cardinals have here coming up to these two games in the span of, what, basically five days? Once you get to Sunday, hosting the Bills, and then Thursday in Seattle to take on the Seahawks. You'd love to go 2-0. and I think you at least need to go 1-1 and in the stretch. I don't think you can afford to go 0-2 and, and drop to 5-5 five and because then you start to open the door for a team like Minnesota or you know, maybe even Atlanta or Carolina, teams that have underachieved so far this season. Specifically Minnesota because of the way Dalvin Cook's playing. You start to open the door if you're the Cardinals. He dropped to 5-5 five and five. for a team like that that started slow but is, is going to get hot in the second half to catch you. If you just split, if you just go 6-4, and four, I mean, ideally, I guess you'd rather beat Seattle than Buffalo. But if, if you could go 6-4 and four through the first 10 games, with, the, with the, the games the Cardinals have in those final six weeks, you feel pretty good about your chances. The goal, obviously, is 7-3 and three because that keeps you in play for the division. And it also... Puts you in a good spot that if you don't win the division, you would at least finish with the, one of the top wild cards. If you get that top wild card, you are playing the team that wins the NFC East, which right now almost feels like a first-round bye. Uh, but the Cardinals will be playing this one without Jordan Phillips. Uh, Lecky Fotu, Justin Murray as well. Buda Baker and Kenyon Drake are questionable. Cliff Kingsbury was asked about those two in particular today. We feel uh, like Boot is a strong possibility. We still have to get him out there on Sunday and, and see how he feels. Um, and Kenyon will be game time. We want to make sure he feels good pregame and can do what, what um, he does best. And if not, he won't go. Yeah, not really any... Um any reason to rush Kenyon Drake back? And that's not to imply that they don't need him. And there were a couple plays on Sunday against the Dolphins, fair or unfair, that I think we all look at now and say, yeah, maybe, maybe Kenyon Drake would have got that first down, or maybe he would have got those extra couple yards there. Um, so they could certainly use him if he's healthy and good to go against Buffalo. But 
the bigger name there for this game in particular is Buda Baker because Buffalo throws the ball all over the field. And Buffalo's got a pretty good offense, uh, and, it, and it woke up last week. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's games this season that Buffalo has played, like 18-10, a, a win over the Jets a few weeks ago. That's like, okay, well, how impressive is your offense if you can only score 18 against the Jets? And you know, even the 24-21 win over the Patriots on November 1st is kind of an ugly game. But they just put up 44, and I know it was on Seattle, but still, they put up 44 points. That gets the offense going. Stephon Diggs has been great all year. Josh Allen has been really good all year. He had a little bit of a lull in mid-October, but he's been really good all year. Zach Moss, who Pac-12 fans will remember from playing on Utah the last few years, wasn't playing really at the start of the season. He was hurt, and uh, he's he's come on strong lately. They have a two-headed monster there with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, and not like either one of those guys is... Alvin Kamara, but they're both they're both uh, decent in the roles that they are being put in. And if you're not careful, or if you're too injured on defense against the uh, the, the Buffalo Bills, you're you're going to be in a tough spot. So I don't know if there's a more important player on the Cardinals' defense. In fact, there isn't. There isn't a more important player than Buda Baker. And we already saw one game this season where the Cardinals didn't have him, and it was definitely their worst game of the season against Carolina. So. Hopefully, Buda Baker is able to go uh, in that one. To the NBA, this is uh, sort of a quiet night when it comes to the Phoenix Suns. If you look at what's been going on, just the, the buzz around the Suns, last week there was all the talk from the uh, the Bill Simmons podcast, Ryan Rosillo saying, oh yeah, it's the worst kept secret in the NBA that Devin Booker wants out. Well, that was the talk last week. Then this week it's, well, yeah, Chris Paul wants to go play for the Phoenix Suns and play with Devin Booker. Well, that, that sort of contradicts the previous week, but whatever. I like that one more. And there seems to be a lot a lot to this, this rumor that Chris Paul could end up getting dealt to the Phoenix Suns. Even if it doesn't happen, it shows that they are looking to make some fairly big moves this offseason if they can. Then you had the jersey reveal yesterday. You've got the NBA draft next week. I mean, if you're going to make a trade, there's a decent chance you make it around the NBA draft. So we may have an answer on that one sooner uh, rather than later, and they can't make a trade right now because of the moratorium, but uh, you, get to, you get to next Wednesday, and all of a sudden things get potentially pretty interesting. Chris Paul was on with Jimmy Fallon this week, so not necessarily where you would expect your uh, sports news to break, but I give Jimmy Fallon a, cre- a ton of credit here. He just flat out asked Chris Paul about the uh, the Suns rumors. Man, I'm going to year 16. Right? So I done heard about every rumor that you could possibly hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, you, you learn to control what you can control. Um, I'm training, getting ready for the season. If something happens, it will. If not, you know, I've, I love being in Oklahoma uh, with our team. We uh, actually just got a new coach yesterday. <laughs> yesterday, so, you know, oh the league gosh. is always constantly changing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chris Paul, it's, it's starting to seem less and less like he will be on Oklahoma City this upcoming season. Even if he doesn't get dealt to the Suns, you figure if he leaves Oklahoma City, that weakens a team that was fifth in the Western Conference last year. So um, I, I think at least in a vacuum, you would like him on the Suns. I, I, I don't understand how anybody could look and say, oh, I don't want Chris Paul. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, he's he's towards the end of his career, but he's not at the end of his career. He had an excellent season last year, both on the court and if you want leadership, the guy is the president of the NBA Players Association. <laughs> So, I mean, he's in those meetings. He was in the meetings with uh, with LeBron and Obama during the bubble 
situation, trying to determine how to play out the rest of uh, the NBA playoffs and what to do there. And, and just in terms of leadership, we could look back if the Suns get Chris Paul and and say it's the best thing that ever happened to DeAndre Ayton. Now, I guess it's possible you get Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton does not respond well to that sort of tough love, and then maybe you have an issue on your hands. So again, you got to know your team before you make a trade like that. But there's definitely a scenario where you know, Aiden's fine now, but if you want to hit him with the next level, you may need a guy like Chris Paul, and there aren't a lot of guys like Chris Paul in this league. So if you can get him on this team without touching the, the core, without without moving Booker, Aiden, or Bridges, to me those guys need to be untouchable unless you're dealing for somebody just truly amazing in their prime. If you can make that happen, I think you got to take a long, hard look at it. It sounds like they are. And finally, Major League Baseball, the Miami Marlins making Kim Ng the first female GM in Major League Baseball history. Just a great story. She's been around the game. She's, what, intern with the White Sox, uh, worked for the Dodgers and the Yankees. I mean, you're talking baseball royalty when you're working with the Dodgers and the Yankees. But she gets her shot now as general manager of the Miami Marlins. So give the Marlins a ton of credit uh, for for thinking forward but also not not just making a hire just for the publicity stunt she's by all accounts very qualified for this job and really by all accounts it's this is overdue for somebody to give her this opportunity so i you know obviously i want the diamondbacks to excel over anybody else in the national league makes our job a lot more uh just just more meaningful and just living here you want to see the local teams do well because we've seen enough of the local teams doing poorly but I'll be happy to see the Miami Marlins do well here going forward if they are able to do that. And they've got a good young nucleus that they are uh, they're building around there, especially when you look at some of their pitchers. So big news there today out of Major League Baseball. When we come back, Cardinals' uh, window to, to go deep to maybe even win a Super Bowl, you could make a case it's already open. In fact, I'm going to make that case next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Arizona Cardinals set to take on the Buffalo Bills at State Farm Stadium on Sunday, 2.05 Arizona time. Cardinals trying to run their record to 6-3, trying to drop the Bills down to 7-3, and and then Buffalo's going to have a bye week after that. Arizona doesn't have a bye week after that. <laughs> That's Seattle Seahawks' short week on Thursday, November 19th. So, again, this week that's coming up that I, you know, was anticipating starting with ASU Cal tomorrow. It's it's more than a week really. But um you've got the the Cardinals game on Sunday. You've got the NBA draft on Wednesday. You've got the Cardinals game again on Thursday against the Seahawks and you've got NBA free agency on Friday. A lot of stuff is going to happen in the world of sports locally here in the next week. I mean, even by the by next Friday's show that we're doing, we're going to know what the Cardinals did against the Bills and the Seahawks. We're going to know what the Suns did at the draft. We'll probably know if they're going to make that trade for Chris Paul. I mean, I guess it's possible that they, a week from now, could still not have made it and then end up making it before the, the season begins. But we're going to we're gonna know a lot more about the Suns roster uh, as well. Specifically to the Cardinals, This is a big stretch here coming up. After these two games, you're going to be 10 games deep into your season. And like I said before, I don't think you can afford to drop to 5-5. and Because then, it's not just your record 
it's not just the well, you know, if you take a step back, where you know at the start of the year, if I had told you they were going to be five and five, wouldn't you be happy? No, <laughs> not in this case because if they if they get to five and five, that means they've lost three in a row, counting this past Sunday's game against Miami. They've got to at least get a split here. The quote easier game is probably the Bills game. Um, they're a more well-rounded team than the Seahawks, but it's just tough to travel short week and, and go play, and it's tough to sweep a team like the Seahawks over the course of the season. Seattle's going to play the Rams on Sunday, so they may get a little beat up in that game. I mean, it's not like they have uh, two weeks to prepare and the Cardinals are playing on a couple days rest, nothing like that. But you got to win at least one of these games, and that Bills game in particular is uh, it, it's first, it's, it's out of your division, but it's it's a challenge, and one of the reasons it's a challenge is because Josh Allen has really made a push that, you look at the quarterbacks now that came out in that 2018 draft, and I know we don't want to talk about this because Josh Rosen is one of those names, but like Rosen and Mayfield and Sam Darnold, it's it's either Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson. And Josh Allen in particular poses problems for the Cardinals this week because he is not just a good arm, he's, he's mobile. And Vance Joseph talked about, you know, how do you, how do you change your game plan when you're facing a guy like Josh Allen? Well, it definitely makes you, uh, you know, have, a, have a plan to rush the guy the proper way. And most of the time when you're rushing guys like uh, Allen and, and Russell and those guys, rushing four doesn't get it because if you rush four and they're blocking, you know, five guys, it's 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 definitely you know gaps that are open. So you have to obviously mix your four man rushes with your five man rushes, even some six man rushes, to contain the guy and to speed him up, you know, and to get the ball off his hand quicker. If he if he can hold a ball with a four man rush, he's going to make plays, you know. Same as Russell, same as Colin Murray. You know, so it's our job to speed him up and have a rush plan when we do rush four guys to contain the guy, but continue to rush the guy. You know, you have a hard time keeping him in the pocket and not rushing the guy. That's going to be a big part of that game. That game is obviously a big part of this season. But aside from it just being like the immediate future of the Cardinals, I would make the case that their Super Bowl window is already open. Not that I think the Cardinals are going to win the Super Bowl this season, but if you look at Kyler Murray's contract situation, okay, so you've got him cheap. You had him last year, you have him this year, you've got him next year, the year after. And then the team has that fifth-year option. You're going to have him on a, on a pretty good deal here for the next three seasons after this one. So four chances here. And it's not like you can't win a Super Bowl, but if, if I mean if you draft Kyler Murray and he's developing the way he's developing, that's the goal. The goal is the Super Bowl. The goal is not, well, I hope make the playoffs a few times and then you know he'll move on and, and it'll be great and we'll draft another quarterback. Now you drafted Kyler Murray and he's evolving the way he is. Your goal is to win the Super Bowl. Whether it's this year or next year, the year after, it, it, three years down the line, whatever, four years. But there's no secret that it's a lot easier to do that when you can put a really good team around your quarterback because you're not paying him much yet. You're going at some point here in a few years, so you still got time, but you're going to be paying Kyler Murray a lot of money if he continues to evolve the way he has through the first 24 games of his career. But I would make the case that because he has evolved so quickly and you look at what he can do, and even last week they lose to Miami, he played a pretty good game. He, to me, looks like a quarterback that is capable of winning a Super Bowl within a year. I don't know if the team around him is, 
And, you know, that opens up a whole other conversation of is Cliff Kingsbury as a coach ready to go that deep? Or is he still need more time to develop? But I'm just saying that when you have a quarterback that is as talented as Kyler Murray and is developing as quickly as Kyler Murray is, your window's open maybe sooner than you realize. And that's why that's why you had a lot of Cardinals fans saying at the trade deadline, hey, can we can we get Stephon Gilmore? Can we can we go after JJ Watt? And I'm not even saying I would have done either of those moves. Maybe Stephon Gilmore, if it if you know, if you could make a, a reasonable trade. But I'm just saying that you are now you're already in the window. You weren't there last year. And you're the window's just opening right now, but it's it's there. And so these two games coming up, it's you, you can't afford to go 0 and 2 in the stretch. You really you really need to go at least 1 and 1, but I mean 2 and 0 is it's such a difference this season in particular if you can win your division and be the number 1 seed because you're the only team getting a first round bye. And also adding to this, the NFC looks pretty wide open, doesn't it? Do you look at anybody if 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 I if I tell you okay I you know I think the Cardinals you know this is this is a year they could potentially go deep who are you coming back with me from the NFC and say well they can't beat this team who in the NFC are the Cardinals incapable of beating again I'll be clear I don't think they're going to make the playoffs and then win four games in a row and get to the Super Bowl this year I don't I don't think they are ready for that just consistently to play at that high of a level in the playoffs yet but it's not like it's not like the Chiefs are in the NFC. It's not like the the Patriots of a few years ago are in the NFC. Tampa's got flaws. New Orleans looks pretty good. Green Bay's, they just don't have enough weapons for Aaron Rodgers. Doesn't mean they can't get to the Super Bowl. But I'm just saying, there's not any team that you look at and say, well, there's just, there's no way they could beat them. What, Seattle? They already beat Seattle. Seattle has no defense. Doesn't mean Seattle's not a better team, but I'm just saying none of these teams around the Cardinals are unbeatable. And when you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray, those teams that look unbeatable um, suddenly, suddenly became suddenly becomes a little more uh, doable. So that all just boils down to these being a couple big games coming up, specifically the one this weekend, because it really is setting the stage for the second half of your season. And if you're the Cardinals, you just don't want that bitter taste of what happened against Miami to linger going forward into a week where you're going to play two games in the span of five days. Uh, looking around. Looking around the rest of the NFL, just a couple notes to throw out there. The Steelers still pretty beat up by the virus, and we'll see if uh, Ben Roethlisberger is able to go this weekend or whatnot. But the uh, the Steelers are going to put that 8-0 record on the line against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals, assuming all goes well this weekend. So that's that's one to keep an eye on. No, you're not going to keep too close of an eye on it because it's on the same time as the Cardinals. But uh, the Steelers, the lone undefeated team left in the NFL, and they've played a few close ones recently, including a game against Garrett Gilbert and the Dallas Cowboys last weekend. So if it's going to be close against them, you figure it might be close against the Bengals. Uh, The Chicago Bears, they are moving their play-calling duties away from Matt Nagy to offensive coordinator Bill Lazor. So, I mean, the the Bears got to do something. That is is a team that if you're the Cardinals, you are feeling pretty fortunate that Chicago is just melting down the way they have because at the moment – Strictly going by standings, the the NFC really is an eight-team race for seven playoff spots, and that eighth team is the Bears, and they just just haven't been good lately. 
Otherwise, you start to drop down to the 49ers, who are all beat up, or you're going down to the Vikings, who, like I said, they've, they've picked up some momentum lately because of Dalvin Cook, but they're 3-5. and five. The Falcons, they've played well enough to have a better record than 3-6, and six, but they don't finish games, and they are 3-6. and six. Carolinas look decent, but they don't have Christian McCaffrey again. They're 3-6. and six. So if you're the Cardinals, you're just looking at this from the, the, the viewpoint of we've got to make the playoffs first and foremost. There's basically... At the moment, eight teams in the race in the NFC for seven spots. And one of them is Chicago, and Chicago has been melting down now for uh, the better part of a month. So they're going to they're gonna mix things up by trying to uh, to change things around on offense. And uh, they have the Vikings, I believe, on Monday Night Football this week. So one of those teams is going to lose, and you can make a case that the team that loses that game is pretty much out of the race in the NFC. I mean, the Bears, to be fair, if they lost, would only be 5-5, five and five, but four-game losing streak, can't get anything going on offense. That doesn't feel like a playoff team if they drop to 5-5. Five and five. All right, when we come back, we're going to hear from Arizona Cardinals GM Steve Keim, his thoughts on his team at the halfway point of the season. That's next. It's The Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. The Rundown with Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, seeing as how it is the final segment of the week, and we like to try and mix in some fantasy football on the show, usually in the 7 o'clock hour. Let's wrap it up with the uh, fantasy storylines from every game this weekend. I'm going to go rapid fire here. Actually, some of these games I haven't even looked at yet, so this is going to be fun. But uh, (laughs) look, we can start with Colts-Titans last night. Hopefully you didn't face Naheem Hines, because I did, and John Bloom started him against me. So, you know, next time John Bloom's on the air, feel free to call in and tell him he's mean for doing that. Uh, The games, though, coming up this weekend, Texans, Browns, the main thing that I'm looking at in that one is the return, potentially, of Nick Chubb. And how exactly that's going to break down in the Cleveland Browns backfield. Kareem Hunt has been a decent fantasy option. He hasn't really been like a dominant runner. But uh, Nick Chubb was was a dominant runner before he left. You figure they're going to go with a tandem there. That's not usually good news for fantasy players if you have Hunt or Chubb. Except the Browns really don't pass all that much. And Odell Beckham Jr. is gone. And they know that their best chance to win is by running and running a lot. So even if Chubb's back, you figure they uh, they should both be pretty good options this week and potentially going forward. But that's definitely what I'm watching in that game is is how much they use him if he is able to come back and uh, and what that, that backfield split looks like. Because especially, you know this, if you're playing fantasy football this late in the season, you just need a starting running back at this point. And uh, if, you've, if you've survived in your league without Nick Chubb, if he's been on your IR or whatever... Getting him back is big, but you also don't want to lose Kareem Hunt if you are the uh, Kareem Hunt owner. Washington, the football team in Detroit to take on the Lions. I continue to watch Washington. Well, not that much, but when I'm watching Washington, I continue to look to see how they're splitting their backfield with Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. If you are playing in one of the leagues where you get uh, a point for every catch, McKissick's actually been a guy you could probably start, but uh, Antonio Gibson, the rookie... Has been decent for Washington this season. Hasn't been amazing. They don't give him a ton of touches, but he's he's been getting in the end zone here the last few weeks. And considering he is a rookie and a guy you probably didn't have to take too early in your draft, you would expect that uh, he, you know, makes sense that he'd be getting better as the season goes on. And uh, he could be somebody that you've had on your bench or like in your flex spot that you're able to, to play a little bit more now. 
uh, if he continues to produce. The Lions, uh, they are only going to go as far as Matthew Stafford can can move them up and down the field. Last week was kind of a strange one because we weren't even sure he was going to play. He had to fly out to the game himself because he had to clear COVID protocol and he couldn't be with the team. Got there, started good, but uh, but Detroit's just overall not a great team. Packers-Jaguars from Green Bay. This feels like one of those games where Aaron Rodgers just goes off. He's had quite a few of those this season. He's had quite a few of those in his career, obviously. Uh, Every once in a while, Green Bay, for whatever reason, just seems to have those games where it's just a total dud across the board offensively. But that's really only happened once this season against Tampa Bay. About a month ago, October 18th, the Buccaneers have a pretty good defense too, but other than that, I mean, Aaron Rodgers passing touchdowns, 4-2-3-4-4-3-4. That's a pretty good good season. He had zero against Tampa, but the other games. And Jacksonville is just abysmal. I really think Jacksonville, starting off the season by beating the Colts when everybody was wondering if maybe they could be a candidate to go 0-16, really threw everybody off because now everybody's like, oh, well, Gardner Minshew's fun and uh, LaVisca Chenault looks like a decent rookie and James Robinson is a good rookie and they, they started the season with a win. They've lost every game since. Minshew's not the starter anymore. Chenault's hurt. James Robinson's still a really good rookie, but uh, for this one, I think you're watching to see what Aaron Rodgers can do. A lot of a lot of uh, fantasy owners were actually able to get him as their either their second quarterback, like if you took Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes or somebody earlier in the draft, or he's your starter, but you got him so late that you were able to take a bunch of other strong players early on, and uh, he's he's seems like Aaron Rodgers is going to be, as crazy as this sounds, one of those guys that at the end of the season when all the, the fantasy websites, they like list out what percentage of championship winning teams had a certain player. Seems like Aaron Rodgers and James Robinson in this game, for that matter, are going to be two of those guys that you got late or, in Robinson's case, maybe you picked up after the draft, and they've been huge this season. Eagles-Giants, the Giants have Devontae Freeman back on IR. They don't really have much of a running game, but um, Evan Ingram has picked it up considerably at the tight end position. High expectations for him earlier this season. The Giants don't move the ball a whole lot, but we're kind of getting back to that point of the season where a lot of their offense runs through Evan Ingram. From a non-fantasy perspective, the Eagles actually have a chance to get to 500, which in the NFC East is unheard of. And if they beat the Giants, they are probably going to be the NFC East champs. Buccaneers and Panthers, Game 2 of the Antonio Brown era. Game 1 did not go well for Tampa Bay Sunday night last week against the Saints. Uh, they just nothing going offensively. Tom Brady had his worst game of the year by far. Mike Evans didn't do much. Nobody did much. I mean, Chris Godwin was back. He did a little bit. Antonio Brown didn't do much. So the Buccaneers going to toss that one out and see how that this loaded offense now looks in uh, week two of the Antonio Brown era because, at least on paper, if you've got Brown, Godwin, and Evans with Brady throwing and Gronk and then uh, two good running backs, or at least decent running backs in Fournette and Ronald Jones, that's an offense that should put up some points. On the Carolina side of things, Christian McCaffrey is out again. He came back for one week. Last week was uh, amazing, 30 fantasy points. But uh, Mike Davis steps back in. Broncos Raiders afternoon games. Drew Locke. I want to see if he can keep going what uh, what he's what he's had going the last few weeks. You don't think of Denver is a high scoring team necessarily, but he's been throwing the ball all over the field to a lot of guys you probably haven't heard of, like Tim Patrick. But it's been working for him, and uh, we'll see if that continues this week 
in Vegas against the Raiders. Chargers, Dolphins, this should be a fun one. This one runs parallel to the Cardinals game on Sunday afternoon. Justin Herbert against Tua. Those are obviously the guys to watch, especially if you are in a keeper league or if you're just looking forward to the future uh, of, of the position. Uh, a lot of people, I was looking at a lot of different uh, Rookie of the Year ballots and projections this week. A lot of people actually have Herbert ahead of Joe Burrow, but this can be a great matchup of, of the other two quarterbacks that were taken in the top 10 of this year's draft that uh, that aren't Joe Burrow. So Herbert and Tua should be a really good one. I, look, I know he ruined everybody's weekend last weekend, but I'm fascinated by what Tua is going to do in this league. And and last weekend, he showed flashes of, of how he can win games himself. Not like the week before where Miami hammered the Rams, but Tua didn't really do anything. Bills Cardinals, I mean, there's a lot of fantasy implications in this one. I really think we're getting to the point where Kyler Murray is going to be the second quarterback uh, off boards in next year's fantasy draft. Patrick Mahomes will be first. I went back and looked at at the projections before this season, and a lot of sites actually had Lamar ahead of, of uh, Mahomes this year. But either way, it was one of those two. And then like Deshaun Watson was third. Kyler got some buzz, but the way he has played this season, if he continues in the second half to produce the way he did in the first half, both running and throwing, he's going to be. Uh, he, I, I really do think he's going to be the second quarterback off the boards in fantasy drafts next year. Not just here in Arizona, but everywhere. Josh Allen is having a uh, a really good season as well. So keep an eye on him. Seahawks Rams. I mean, we've seen the last few weeks the opposing quarterback has carved up the Seahawks defense to the point where they won Player of the Week uh, honors. We'll see if Jared Goff can do it this week for the Rams. He has struggled a bit uh, this season, but the Rams five and three trying to pull into a tie for first. And uh, you're going to beat the Seahawks. You're going to have to score some points. 49ers and Saints. The Saints looked looked like the best team in the NFC last week. They've hammered the, the Buccaneers now twice this season. So that's a, that's a team that has run a lot of their offense through Alvin Kamara. But is Michael Thomas going to get more involved? Is Drew Brees healthy enough to put together a couple more big games? He really hasn't had a lot of big fantasy days this season. But he's had a lot in his career now he's getting some of his weapons back, so keep an eye on that Saints offense going forward. Bengals-Steelers. Joe Burrow, can he continue his really impressive rookie campaign against the Steelers' defense that has essentially been the best in the NFL this season? They're a little beat up now, so maybe not quite at the level that the Colts have been, but uh, but when, when the Steelers are on defensively, they are certainly up there as one of the two or three best they could have a big fantasy week just their their defense, but uh, Joe Burrow, if he can if he can move the ball against the Beng- or against the Steelers, he's he's <laughs> doing a pretty good job. Ravens Patriots Sunday night that just feels like a brutal game for the Patriots and potentially a big game for the Ravens defense and Vikings Bears on Monday night. There's nothing really to watch in this one other than Dalvin Cook. Can he keep doing what he's been doing? 500 yards and six touchdowns over the last two weeks. The Bears defense a little bit better than the ones he's been facing, but he's been almost unstoppable. All right, that's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to Jeff Darge stepping in behind the glass. Thanks to you for listening. I'm Luke Lipinski. It's been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station.